What's up, guys? Y'all are looking at me like I'm a squid. Hello. Good afternoon. <laughs> Is this church? Hello. Uh, there we go, Tina. Woo, turn up. No, okay, great, great, great. What's up, guys? I'm not just a crazy lady. My name is Daniqua. Uh, I'm the Good News and Social Engagement Pastor, as Josh mentioned. And as I always say when we start a service is, hey, I'm glad that you're here because you could be anywhere else, but you decided to come and worship with us. And so give yourself a round of applause. Y'all don't really like each other. Wow. <laughs> Y'all don't even clap. Ooh, scared. Um, no, but I'm really glad that we're able to continue what is a really dope series called uh, Grace on the Other Side. Last week, Josh actually started, and we're going to continue this week. And for some of you guys who are like, hey, I wasn't here last week. Grace on what? The other side. <laughs> so a lot of us have actually been through a really difficult season. It's been pretty arduous. We've been in it for a year. And it doesn't miss us as a teaching team that, all of these things feel pretty like heavy and weighty on us. And what does it mean for us to actually understand that on the other side of what was a very long pandemic is God's grace, is the ability to trust God for all that he is and all that he can do. To be honest, we're much like the Israelites in uh, the wilderness. We are right in between shelter in place and an impromptu trip to Cancun just because we can now. <laughs> And that's all difficult. That is all a wild place to be in because it's like, man, what if we actually were able to identify what it means to be an in-between place and trust God for that, right? Who wants to trust God for that in-between place? Yeah? Ooh, only some of y'all? Hold on. No pressure, no pressure, but kind of. <laughs> we want to trust God for the in-between place because we want to trust God for what he can do in that place of not quite having it all together, but knowing that he wants to bless us there. Specifically last week, Josh led us through Exodus chapter 15 verses, I think it was 29 and 30. And what he talked to us about is celebration. He talked about what it means to celebrate when it's not all okay or not all all right, but actually to celebrate when nothing is okay, when it hasn't all been settled and when it just is us and God. He told us that celebration can actually be a way in which we come and show up with courage. Celebration is the way that we identify well with the kingdom of God. And most of all, celebration is how we stand up against evil. Isn't that something to shout about? No. <laughs> all of those ways of understanding God and understanding that we can celebrate in the midst of it all that is exactly what creates us into people who worship God and God alone. It creates us into people whose hearts are prepared and prepped to receive the provision, the supply, and the overflow and abundance of God. Now, last week, we spent a lot of time on celebration, but this week, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the provision of God. Before we start, though, I want to pray for us just for a moment. So would you please bow your head? Oh, gracious and eternal God, you are good, and your mercy endureth forever. I thank you that today we received a spring rain, which means that you're bringing color to the people and the world that you so dearly love. I thank you that you are a God who, right at four o'clock, 
Let's the sun peek out of the clouds to show us that you want to warm us. God, I thank you and I ask right now that you till the ground of our hearts and you water it with your showers so that we can receive your deliverance, so that we can receive this new word, so that we can be ready for what you're about to break off of our lives and what you're about to plant. So God, we ask you for your help. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So today's scripture is just one step over from Exodus 15, which we learned last week. Today's scripture is Exodus 16. Now, before we jump too much into it, I want to warn you guys. It's a far cry from last week. You're going to look at the Israelites and be like, oh, sad eye. What's going on with y'all this week? But I want to make sure that we give the Israelites a little bit of grace before we judge them too quickly. And so if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 16, verse 2 and 3. And don't worry, if you do not have it, I will be reading it. Exodus 16, verses 2, 3 reads, The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, hold on. How did we get to hungry kill after just celebrating God in the the chapter before? Chapter 15, kid you not, the Israelites were singing with Moses. The Lord is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. That's a little different, right, y'all? They were lauding God. They were chipper about what God had been doing, the ways that God had liberated them from a hard place. But but this tune that they're singing now is a far cry from what it was before. Their worship has now seemingly turned into worry. Their hearts of exaltation are now filled with anxiety. Now, y'all, what could have possibly happened between chapter 15 and chapter 16? What has brought the Israelites such grief after experiencing such freedom? How in the world did they go from asking for a sandwich to saying that they think that they should have died before they got there? I think that there might be a missing piece. The people of Israel started to feel the growling of their bellies and immediately they longed for death. In their mind, the presence of lack, it corresponded to their ultimate demise. In their crying out for food, they came in contact for the first time with their own desperation, their hopelessness, their fear, and the after effects of trauma. Now, I can't continue on with this sermon without actually putting into context what it meant for these folks to actually be in the place that they're in. Prior to the wilderness, folks, the Israelites had experienced the trauma of a lifetime. They were put into deep, deep places of distress. Israelites in Egypt were deeply enslaved. They were subjected to deep cruelty under Pharaoh. They they even had to worry about Pharaoh's ego because when the Israelites started to uh, become more populated and their number began to grow, he got so worried that he forced them with his power to become his slaves. 
And because they were his slaves, he was able to torture them. And through this torturing, he actually made them build what he called treasure cities. And they made these treasure cities out of blocks of hay. Sorry, y'all, this mask is bothering me. <laughs> they made these masks out of hay and, and, and mud. And they actually did this day in and day out. And they weren't just doing this on their own. They were overlorded by slave drivers that were cruel and brutal to them. They subjected them to soul-crushing labor and overlording inequalities. And the worst of all, y'all, is that the Pharaoh put out an order. He put out an order to midwives telling them to kill every infant boy that came into the kingdom that was a part of the Israelites. That's wild. Forced labor, mass murder, and fear filled the lives of these folks as the slaves of Egypt. They had a traumatic experience in Egypt. They learned that those who were in power ruled with an iron fist. They learned that cruelty was their only portion. They learned that punishment was the only way that they could live. They learned that those in power did not care whether or not they lived or died. They learned that those in power could use and abuse them, and they could be treated as casualties of whatever needed to get done. Their relationship to authority figures was one of misuse of power, in deep stress. And so it's likely, it's understandable even, that the Israelites gained a little bit of suspicion towards this man named Moses who comes in and says, I'm going to lead you out of this place. And this all-knowing, all-consuming God who says, oh, I am your God. There's a way in which this, this authority figure, this all-powerful being comes and shatters what they, what they seem to have already identified as in a way they don't want to live. After such a traumatic experience, it seems that their perceived lack of, of, of food and, 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 and uh, care actually came from when they were in Egypt. Once they got to the wilderness and this God that was supposed to be their God didn't want to take care of them the way that they needed to be taken care of, they thought that it was just like Pharaoh who could care less of if they live or if they died, that they were a commodity that could be expendable. However, this experience was a little different. See, I know we haven't quite read it yet, but to the Israelites, God had actually been very good to them. Exodus 7, chapter 7, verses, chapter seven, verses uh, 1 through 11, he was an advocate for them. In chapters 8 and, and also 9 and 11, he was an advocate for them, sending warnings to Pharaoh and sending plagues to get his people out of Egypt as slaves. In Exodus 13, he provided his presence, guiding them to freedom as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Exodus 15, he purifies water for them so that they could have the sustenance that they need so that he can be the God that healed them. There's a bunch of reasons to believe for them that God is a little bit different than Pharaoh. There's a bunch of reasons for them to actually understand that this isn't the same as it was once they, when they were in Egypt. There's a bunch of reasons for them to yield to the God that actually wants to show up for them, for them in miraculous ways. The truth is, y'all, that there's a bunch of reasons to believe that these situations are different, but trauma wouldn't allow them to. 
The truth is that trauma can lead us to respond with impulse when approached by familiar circumstances in a different situation. Trauma can have us see cues of danger and make unreflective decisions about what should happen next. Trauma can have us perceive signals of possible harm and have us make rash decisions to preserve ourselves and others. I know this well. I don't speak about this trauma escape or trauma response or this stress kind of reaction from a place over here. When I was about, I would say 18 years old, my dad decided he wanted to retire out of the military. And right before then, he had his first neck surgery. We thought it was just a routine sort of thing. He'd have the neck surgery, he'd heal up, he'd retire, and then he'd go and do his second career thing, you know? But one surgery after the next, he ended up not being able to go back to work. I started school at Hampton University, and that was a joyous occasion. But all the while, I noticed that in my household, there was almost like a latent sadness. Slowly but surely, being a grown woman, I started to notice that, oh wow, I think my family is in a financial place that is fragmented. My, 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 my family's having financial issues. I'd never experienced that in my life. My mom always worked, my dad always worked, everything was fine, two, house, two uh, income household. But slowly but surely, things begin to dwindle. We lost our house when I was a sophomore in college, and we ended up having to move to a city, uh, to a city across uh, the water, because I live in Virginia. And slowly but surely, I noticed that our, cu- our cupboards began to become more and more empty. I wasn't used to that. I wasn't used to looking in the fridge and not seeing anything to eat. I was used to coming home and my mom cooking. But all I noticed was that people weren't talking too much about money, and if they did, there were almost like hushed tones about it. Fast forward to 2015, I got accepted into grad school at Yale Divinity School. And that was a blessed experience, another joyous occasion. But I felt called to Divinity School and also angry with God because he would have me leave my parents in such a weird situation. And so what I did is I brought my fear, my, my uh, uh, distress, and my anger with me to this experience. I came to Yale Divinity School and I almost became a workaholic. I worked two, sometimes three jobs at a time. I spent a lot of my time in a reclusive state, not trusting anything or anyone. I was afraid of losing control of everything and being in a financial place where I would hunger again where I would be fragmented again, where I would be vulnerable again to the ways that the world works. I vowed never to be financially burdened again and not to ever be a financial burden to my parents again. And what that created in me is someone who didn't believe that there was creativity for her life, that didn't have hope for the sorts of things that God would bring her into and that she could actually have expectation for. I didn't have hope for God's provision in my life and rarely in others either. Not everyone has a story like mine. 
But many of us actually have the uh, stressful situations that have created impulsive reactions and responses inside of us because of despair, hopelessness, and abandonment. Many of, us, many of us have experienced our own sorts of trauma that have left us responding to situations uh, uh, disproportionately because we do not know how else to respond. We have haphazard ways of identifying with people, with place, with experience because we are afraid. I know your story not, might not be the same, but it could be because you lost a loved one. It could be because your parents got divorced or you have an absent parent. It could be strained friendships, bullying, abandonment. It could be because of an abusive relationship. It could be because of unforeseen circumstances like the panoramic that we're in. It could be because of loss of income. It could be because of fearfulness of getting sick and being deemed unclean. These are all situations where we can create vows due to the deep hurt we experience. These are all situations where we looked and always look for ways to provide for ourselves, take care, for our, take care of ourselves, and unknowingly cannot see God's provision for us. I'm convinced that God does not disregard our trauma and did not disregard the trauma of, of the Israelites. He, in fact, was fully committed to it. He was fully committed to in, and invested to showing up for them right in the middle of their frustration and their pain. He's invested in restoring the Israelites and us through his closeness. In fact, in Exodus chapter 16, verses 9 through 10, God speaks through Aaron an invitation to the Israelites. He says, draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked towards the wilderness and the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. Draw near. Such a simple invitation and one that we've actually gone through throughout our entire Lenten series. It's important that we understand something about ourself, ourselves in representation and also in connection with God. We oftentimes want God's liberation without God's relationship. We want God's freedom without God's intimacy to sustain us. We oftentimes want to show up without vulnerability and then ask for our needs to be met. But the reality is that what God actually asks us to do is show up in our most fragile and frail person so that he can meet us with grandeur, with honor, and with dignity. But the hope in this is that we can, we can sometimes, we can sometimes push up against the places inside of us that are in a rush to get out of God's presence, afraid that he'll disappoint us. Oftentimes when we are not willing to, rev to, re to receive God's provision for us, it's because we're scared that he'll disappoint us. We're afraid that if we show up too frail, too vulnerable, that we won't get what we need. We won't be what we, what we hope we'll be and that God will not be the God that we expect him to be. God responds to the Israelites and tells them that he will rain bread from heaven. He responds to them with grandeur. Think about it. Look up just once, y'all. Imagine bread falling from heaven on us right now. 
y'all would take those masks off and be like, ah, literally. God responds to us with deep love and care for who we are, not in this show-off-y type of way, but he actually responds with these kind of modes of grandeur so that we can know it's from him, so that we could know that he would go through all high water in order to get us exactly what we need. Apparently, God doesn't want me to use notes. The deep, <laughs> the deep longing here for us is that we want to receive from the Lord. We want to experience his freedom, his love, his anointing, his grace in these hard seasons. But we're unwilling to grumble. The Israelites in their grumbling said, hey, Lord, Moses, we are hungry and we should have died in order so that we wouldn't have to worry about being hungry out here with you. But the Lord is saying that he wants, to rep- he wants to show up for us in nearness, in closeness, in representation. There's a way in which we have to track with God through what he's already done for us in order to believe him for what he will do. There's a way in which uh, uh, through trauma responses, we hold on to the hard things of our life and do not let the good things come into our hands. And then we lose them. And when the next thing comes and God asks, hey, be obedient to me, trust me for this thing, we can't because we've forgotten. We've forgotten that God has already shown up for us once before. And the Israelites just like us, they forgot that Jesus, that God, I want to use Jesus. They forgot that God had shown up as a pillar, a fire, a cloud. They forgot that he was actually the one that was coming to Pharaoh through Moses to get them out of slavery. And then the issue ensues when God actually shows up for them and rains the, the, um, the bread from heaven and the quail on the ground. And he gives them two instructions. He says, first, only get what you need for each day. And second, on the sixth day, get double your portion so that you can rest on the seventh. What do y'all think happens? They disobeyed. (laughs) The first thing that they did is that they gathered extra on that first day. They were just like, you know what? The Lord isn't about to forget about me. Let me go ahead and grab more of this so that I can make sure that I have enough for tomorrow. And what happened after that? It spoiled and it stunk up the whole camp. And then on the sixth day, when it's time for them to actually gather their double portions, some people did, but other people came out on the seventh day to gather because they didn't think that God was really giving them a day of rest. What I'm here to express to you guys, if you don't hear anything else from me today, is that the Israelites were responding to God's provision in trauma. They had multiple responses that signify that they did not trust who God was and that his authority looked different than Pharaoh's did. They had been worked to the very bone, and so they did not trust that they did not have to work again. See, when they, gathered the, when they gathered food on the second day and then others came out on the seventh day that was supposed to be the rest, in their minds, they were like, wait a second, I'm used to working. I'm used to coming out and getting what I need in order to sustain myself. But God wanted to show them a new way of being because I'm convinced that God is actually very, very, very invested in the reversal of our trauma. 
He's committed to reversing the hands of trauma in our lives and helping us to understand the ways that he will show up up against the trials of evil, the ways in which disappointment has fragmented and made us feel hard-hearted. See, y'all, in my own story, if I hadn't been so bound by my vow of not wanting to be financially vulnerable ever again, I would have noticed Miss Yvonne that bought me plane tickets every holiday so that I could come home and visit my parents. I would have noticed Mr. Ron who bought me a Mac laptop so that I could actually take it to grad school with me. I would have noticed that the church was supplying us food every single week to make sure that we had what we needed. But when I hunkered down and I covered myself, I became blind and insecure about the ways that provision were coming my way that I couldn't even trust it. Provision from God looks like many different things. It can look like many things for you. For some of us, it might be that we're looking for a community that sees and hears and understands us a little bit better. For some of us, it looks like us actually being able to identify well with um, our own insecurities and help uh, have help kind of walking through those. For some of us, it's actually being able to like be, uh, you know, loving to people without actually feeling like the next thing that's going to happen is our heart gets broken. Trauma doesn't allow us to be these sorts of open-hearted people because it makes us feel like we are going to get hurt again like we were in the past season. And so the Israelites learned very well through their traumatic experiences that they could not trust authority figures. And God didn't choose to not show up as an authority figure because that was their experience, but he let them know that their triggers actually weren't the thing that were going to stop them. It would be their disobedience. And so what he decided to do instead is um, he continued to show up for them. Exodus 16, he shows up by pouring down quail and pouring down bread from heaven. In Exodus um, 17, he delivers and has water come out of a rock. All of these random kind of ways of being able to provide for his people, he gave it to them in order for them to be able to understand that his authority, his supernatural power was just for them. That he wouldn't stop showing up powerfully because it scared them but he would continue to show up powerfully so that he could know, so that they could know it was for them. And so I have a couple of invitations for us. I'm gonna invite the worship team back up. The first invitation is one of understanding what it means to grumble before the Lord. Oftentimes grumbling, complaining seems like it's far from us because we seem like it's bratty. It may seem like it's bratty or isn't supposed to be a part of our way of being. But what we learned today is that grumbling before the Lord, complaining actually gives us the ability to have the Lord ask us to come near. In their grumbling, the Israelites were invited to come near and have the Lord show up as a cloud for them. What is happening in your heart? What is something that you feel like you want to complain about, but you might feel a little fearful about? 
The second invitation is, once the bread from heaven rained down on the Israelites, God asked for Moses to take a piece of the bread, put it in a jar, and to save it for later, to save it for this generation and for future generations. My question for you is, what in your life, what provision in your life right now is the Lord asking for you to save for later? to save so that you could remember in hard times, but also so that people who come behind you will also remember that God shows up. And the final invitation is, what does it mean for you to have imagination for the provision that God has given you? In this story, once the bread of heaven rains down on the Israelites, they looked at it and they were like, oh, let's call it manna. Well, manna in Hebrew can sometimes be translated into, what is this? <laughs> they didn't give it an actual name. They just said, what is this? They said, okay, we'll call it that. What is this? What is the Lord inviting you to have imagination for in your own life? What sort of provision has come to your doorstep and you're just like, what is this? How can you start to name and to put your finger on what the Lord is doing in your own life so that you might counteract and come up against the trauma responses that you might have? I'd like to pray for us. Oh, gracious and eternal God, um, yeah, you are good. You are honorable. You are worthy to be praised. God, in this moment, as we think and we, we understand what it means for you to come right into the middle of our frustrations, our stress reactions, and our trauma responses, Lord, we ask that you break off um, any ways that we might want to resist you coming too close to us, to you showing up as a cloud in order to cover us, Lord. God, right now, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you give us ways to receive your provision for ourselves to know that even when it comes in these strange ways, when we have to kind of look out for what you're doing, that you are gracefully blessing us, that we can have expectation for the unexpected circumstances in which you come and show up for us. God, we ask right now in the name of Jesus that you open up every single imagination here, oh God, that we will have room to receive how you provide for us and how you open up the way for us to have grace on the other side. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen.